Attended by Simmons. Is this the Tiger? Hello and welcome back to the Battleborn Reds podcast. I'm your host as always, Joshua Ansamo, talking to you guys today about your favorite team in the MLS, Toronto FC. Toronto FC drew 2-2 against Real Salt Lake last night, which saw their record improve to 2-2-2. They are currently 8th in the Eastern Conference at the time of this recording. Real Salt Lake, a team that a lot of people are either high on or very low on this year. They have a 3-1-3 record and are 3rd in the Western Conference. Uh, the game started off with Maram's beautiful strike in the seventh minute assisted by Cardova to give Real Salt Lake the 1-0 lead. He cut in on the right boot and finished one upper corner left side um, right by Bono. Um, you know, top corner. It was a beautiful shot. Uh, really got the Toronto FC defenders to bite on him. And he just placed it beautifully in the top corner. But then after that, Thompson getting his first MLS goal and first as he, uh, sorry, first on the year uh, as a red. And it came in the ninth minute, assisted by Schafflenberg to tie the game up at one. It was a cross late into the box, which was side volleyed uh, on the left foot of Kosi, which was beautiful. Thompson, you know, one of the younger players on the squad, definitely somebody that's going to be vital to this team's success with the midfield depth we got here in Toronto, and he really showed up. McNaughton did get a yellow card in the 36th minute, but Krillak in the 43rd minute with a beautiful goal for Real Salt Lake. The cross came in, poor marking again by Toronto FC. Saw him put the RSL up by a goal in the 43rd minute, assisted by Chang. But then after that, Toronto FC takes off Lucas McNaughton to put on Caden Chung. Uh, Ruiz for Real Salt Lake got a yellow card in the 47th minute. DeAndre Kerr came on for Kosey Thompson in the 57th minute to give Toronto FC a little bit more of an offensive push. Uh, Krillek, the guy who scored the opening, I mean, sorry, the second goal for the Real Salt Lake, received a yellow in the 58th minute. Wood was then substituted on for Maram for Real Salt Lake in the 74th minute. Nelson came on to the game as well for Schaffelberg in the 74th. Uh, Hera came on for Chang in the 75th for Real Salt Lake. But it wasn't until the 79th minute when Jaden Nelson took the ball off a Real Salt Lake midfielder after their goalkeeper passed it right to him. Jaden Nelson looks up, sees the goalkeeper off his line, and fires a strike from distance. It goes over the top of the goalie and just down into the goal to level the game at two with just 10 minutes to go, finding the equalizer. A beautiful strike, one that I have watched on replay all day long. What a goal from Jaden Nelson for his first of the season. Osorio and Herrera then picked up yellow cards in the 83rd minute. Perusa came on for Jesus Jimenez in the 83rd minute as well. And then we get to the 86th minute. Down moment for Toronto FC is Carlos Salcedo receives a red card after, uh, I guess, almost taking, a, <laughs> taking an attacker's head off. Real Salt Lake, clear high boot, uh, tip of the toe, looked like it made contact with the Real Salt Lake attacker's, uh, I guess, forehead. Really, really dangerous play. 
definitely something that you don't want to see from a guy like Carlos Salcedo, who is now going to be suspended twice inside six games. He is supposed to be uh, the main guy at the back, especially on a DP contract. I think he's been playing well when he has been in the lineup, but taking red cards like he has so far and being suspended twice to the first six, as I mentioned, is not something you want to see. And, you know, this is something that, you need to prevent moving forward because we need Salcedo on the field as much as possible, especially using a DP contract on him. And talking about Salcedo and his red right now, where is Chris Mavinga? Where is Chris Mavinga? Honestly, you know, Mavinga, he is probably the best defender on this Toronto FC squad. Definitely, you can make a case for Carlos Salcedo, but we have only seen limited action from Salcedo and being suspended twice in the first six games is definitely something to... Uh, note so Mavinga is probably my bet for best defender on this club obviously Salcedo once we see more action is probably more likely to take that from him but uh, you know top performance in this game it was just easy it was Justin Maram and Jaden Nelson both players with a goal uh, three shots on goal from Justin Maram uh, sorry one shot on goal three shots uh, Jaden Nelson had one shot and one shot on goal which ended up being that beautiful strike um Fair uh, air honorable mention to Hazel Orzoko of RSL, by the way, number 99. Really good performance for him. Two interceptions and a block. Uh, you know, TFC used a 3-4-2-1 formation in this game, something we've been seeing a lot of Bob Bradley do in the early part of this year. Uh, they did out-possess the ball in this game again, which is crucial for TFC, 52%. Uh, they did have more shots on no sorry they did have more of the what do i say more of a presence in this game in the offensive area when attacking with the ball which is something we haven't really seen lots of close plays created by Pozuelo. they just couldn't seem to find that i guess perfect moment to convert it they got outshot 16 to 7 shots on goal 4 to 3 the corner kicks 8 to 3 for RSL as well uh TFC did you know create more fouls unfortunately eight to seven in that matter but they did have less yellow cards with only two to three they did have the only red card in this match and the offsides only one time for tfc just something to i think sorry note because uh <laughs> i had a cough something to note because um you know this was a team that we saw have some offside struggles last year but this year the back lines playing at a high press style something completely different from last year and we're seeing how many times they're catching their opponent offside like they did in this one catching rsl offside a total of six times in this match uh so you know rio tinto stadium is a hard place to play in mls uh 20, people were in attendance yesterday marcos de Oliveira was the referee for those that are very upset with how the officiating went i know there are some folks from the rsl side who believe that the Jaden nelson goal should have been a foul initially when Jaden nelson won the ball from the rsl defender uh, and then he did fire that beautiful shot up over top right into the goal. That's a goal that I, like I said, I just keep watching over and over. But Cozy Thompson's goal as well. That left foot volley from a deep cross um, from Schaffenberg. Just beautiful, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. He didn't even put that much power on the shot too. It was just all about placement and it was perfect. Back post, really, really perfectly timed. And, uh, you know, I hope to see more of that moving forward. TFC is having a very mediocre start to the season. When Insigne comes in July, maybe that is the 
uh, you know, piece that improves this team to being what it's, I guess, expected to be one of the better sides in Major League Soccer. Toronto FC, you know, it's a young team. You're going to have your ups and downs. Their next game is next Saturday, the 16th, where they will be taking on Philadelphia Union. That is going to be a very, very important game. Obviously, no Salcedo. Philadelphia is 5-0-1. They're first in the Eastern Conference. Um, they have a total of 16 points right now out of Toronto FC's 8. Uh, Daniel Gazagdag has been their guy. Four goals, eight key crosses. I mean, key opportunities, four crosses. Um, you know, definitely a guy to watch out for. He's their midfielder as well. So, you know, he can set guys up. He's sort of playing like a Pozuelo that we saw in the early parts of his TFC tenor here. Definitely a guy to watch out for. Philly smashes shots on goal, about averaging 9.2 a game. Uh, they have a really good rate at converting them on target. They are third in the league in that aspect with five on target per game. Uh, they score a lot too. They're in the top five of the league. Uh, they don't pass very much. Uh, Toronto FC is actually fourth in the league in passing with 502 passes so far compared to Philly's 297. Um, so, you know, that's something to watch out for. Completed passes 396 to TFC's favor, 199 to Philly Unions. Crosses are clearly in Philly's advantage. They're top 10 in the league this year, averaging 4.5 a game. Uh, but TFC, they are also down in the long balls advantage here and you know that's important playing a team like philly that likes to attack that has a strong midfield like i said with Gazdog, they're going to look over top for the long ball and playing with a high line that is something definitely to watch out for without carlos salcedo it's going to be important to see how much that impacts them philly union's top 10 in long balls this year um you know philadelphia and toronto FC are both teams that have been really aggressive defensively they're both top five in tackles attempted this year uh, but the Toronto FC side does have the higher succession rate. So that's something to watch out for. BMO Field, last two teams, the last time these two teams played was a 2-2 draw on October 27th in 2021. So we know that these teams are competitive. They're both really strong. Um, but Philadelphia is certainly the favorites in this one. They've won five of their last five after uh, drawing on opening night. So... Um, they won five now. TFC has lost two of the last five with one draw, two wins. So it's definitely going to be something to watch out for. But with that, let's go to the national team, and then we'll come back to TFC to wrap up the episode. But the national team, congratulations. They have made the World Cup. I know it's a little late, but I just wanted the perfect time to speak on this. Um, you know, it's always incredible making it to the world cup but with canada doing it the first time since i was born is so special and it just screams to the development of soccer in this country and yes they got a tough group stage draw but man this is so exciting i honestly do not care if they go to qatar and they lose every single game like i do not care the fact they made it there they proved the haters wrong the people that said this country is not a soccer country, that soccer could not be sustained here, it's it's not possible, really showing them to their face what Team Canada has done. And yes, a lot of that is due to Alfonso Davies and his success in Europe and Jonathan David as well in his own right. But this team earned that spot. Top of the CONCACAF Champions League, 
they are special. They are. International qualifying, sorry, it's a Champions League. International qualifying, top of the group, top of the octagonal eight. You know, they only lost twice. That came in the back stretch here, the final three games. This team is built different. And yes, they did draw Belgium, Morocco, and Croatia. Belgium is an early take. I don't think they're going to succeed in that game. Uh, Belgium, Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku, Hazard brothers. Um, you know, yes, they do have a weaker back line compared to some of the European countries, but this is still Belgium we're talking about. They were favorites for the Euro last year. They have been disappointing in international uh, tournaments, but this is a team that you do not want to play against at all. So I know a lot of people are saying, oh, this is an easy group for Canada. Belgium is certainly not an easy test because we've seen what Kevin De Bruyne has done for like the last five years up in England with Manchester City. Now, Croatia has been everybody's early uh, favorite to pick on. Yes, despite their age and Modric not being at the level he was during the last World Cup, this is a team that, yes, no more Mario Mandzukic. They are still going to be the favorites against the Team Canada. And as much as I want to see Canada win, I think that they could potentially win this game. But Croatia is still Croatia. And with Modric's last World Cup potentially being this one, which is obviously likely, they're going to want to play for him. And they do have some real good pieces in the squad still. They have some younger names that not a, pe- a lot of people are familiar with just yet, but they are class and they're fun to watch. They're a real dominant midfield team. They're really midfield heavy, sort of like a team like Italy. Um, so this is a team that, you know, they went to the uh, finals of the last World Cup to lose to France. Um, so this is a team that I think a lot of people are taking way too lightly. And then Morocco. Morocco is a physical team. Um, they are definitely probably the most reasonable opponent for Canada. They play physical. They do lack offense, but they're pretty quick. And uh, they're way better sound defensively than a lot of other teams uh, that were in the lower end of the qualifying groups here. Uh, so this is a team that... You know, I see a lot of people are saying, oh, this is a beatable opponent. Like, it is, but also you can't delegate that this Morocco side deserves to be in this tournament because what they did in the Africa qualifying uh, confederation, they really, really lived up to the hype, and this is a team that is definitely going to be hungry to make an impact. They're a real solid team. Yes, I know they do not have names glowing off the page that people usually determine who is a World Cup contender and who's not. But the way this side plays the game, they play the right way. They're physical. They're frustrating to play against. And Canada is going to need to live up to this because we know playing these hard-to-play-against teams, even in the own CONCACAF, it's been tough for them in the past. But this year, they were able to pass through it. If they can do it in this tournament and do it against Morocco and hopefully get a point out of the Croatia or Belgium games, which I don't find is likely, then I could see this team making it to the round of 16. But this is a tournament for Canada where I'm happy they got in. Obviously, the next step is doing success in this tournament, which I think should come in 2026. Uh, The fact they got here, it's important to me. I cannot wait. Um, You know, it's going to be exciting turning on the television, seeing the World Cup, seeing Canada's name on the screen, seeing Canada being represented in the standings their jerseys uh their flags all over the marketing campaign for this tournament in qatar and qatar i love how they're hosting this because it's so different from the most recent world cups they're really 
uh, appreciating the culture of Qatar and all that stuff. And I think it's going to be exciting. Canada is going to be in it. Obviously, I'm a little disappointed Italy did not qualify. We know with how heavy of an Italian population we have here in Toronto, it would have been awesome to see a potential Canada-Italy game or a potential Portugal-Canada game as well. But, um, you know, it's going to be exciting. And I know a lot of people will expect a lot from Canada in this tournament, but I think you have to have level standards here and realize that this is going to be a tough task. A lot of players are going to be nervous. Um, they're going to be playing the best on best. But the fact that we're going to see a game where it's Belgium, the one of the best countries in international soccer against our team, Canada, Osorio going against Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku going against, you know, our back line, like Richie Lorea. It is going to be so fun to watch. Yori Telemans and all that. It, this is a team that, like I said, they're dominant, heavy in the midfield. They're going to look for opportunities. They're really good on the counter. And we saw what they did in the group stage in last year's Euro. So this is a team that's more known to be dominant in the group stage and then kind of choke when it gets the elimination game process. But this is the golden age for Belgium. It's starting to come to an end. They're definitely going to want to get out of this tournament with some hardware. And if they can win the World Cup, imagine what that would do for that country as well. So they're going to be hungry as well. Courtois will be between the sticks. He has had a really nice season with Real Madrid. Obviously, we know Real Madrid is on their way potentially to the Champions League semifinals. Obviously, thanks to Karim Benzema, who has been absolutely phenomenal. Arguably the Ballon d'Or winner this year with Mohamed Salah as the contenders. He has just done the unthinkable, eliminating PSG single-handedly by himself. So credit to him for that. But now going back to Toronto FC after just touching up on Team Canada. Toronto FC, so far this season, like I said, they're a young team. They're going to be ups and some downs. Uh, the back line is going to be without Salcedo against arguably the best team in Major League Soccer, especially in the East and Philadelphia Union. It's going to be a battle. But it's going to be at BMO Field. We know Toronto FC plays better at home. Obviously, with the fans being there, uh, that does provide them an advantage. But you have to watch for the balls over the top with Philadelphia. Our team now likes to play with a high back line. Um, you know That often leads us with either a high-risk, high-reward standard where they could be successful a lot of the times and cut down plays. But they also could mean that if they do not get it perfectly right, they could cause themselves some major trouble. And we saw that at the home opener when Toronto FC conceded four goals inside the first half. And we also see them do it properly when Toronto FC won their second game at home this year, uh, which was their first win of the season before the international break. So, you know, Toronto FC, it is going to be a tough game. Um, they need to maintain possession of the ball. That's a style we've seen them like to play. They've really adapted into that. This isn't something they did last year at all. Uh, this year they're really taking sole possession of the ball. And they're looking for opportunities. And I think that benefits them so much, especially when Lorenzo Insigne comes in here. Because once you get Insigne into this lineup and you have that much time with the ball, you're going to find open seams for a guy like that, who is arguably going to be the biggest signing in Major League Soccer history. Once he comes over here and starts playing a few games, you're going to see the hype is real. And I cannot wait for that. Um, but, you know, he is definitely a weapon that if Toronto FC can just hold this all the way through till July. Yes, pickup wins is always important, but if they can just fight through and then once Insigne comes, go on a tear. Obviously, that's easier said than done. I don't think Insigne is going to come here and totally change his team into you know, an undefeated franchise, but you know, adding Lorenzo Insigne 
is a bigger ad than I think a lot of people realize. But the problem with this team has come from the back line. And I see a lot of criticism of Alex Bono. But honestly, I'm not really I'm not criticizing him because, yes, we have been conceding a lot of goals in the early six games here. But really, how many times has he had the opportunity to make a save on that? He's done pretty well in the home opener in the back half. He really uh, kept it solid in the second half. You know, he didn't turn over and just shell. Yes, he's had some better games than not. He's made some good saves. He's made some saves that, you know, should have been there, but he hasn't made those saves. So I know I totally botched up that wording, but you know what I mean. This team needs to keep possession of the ball against Philly. It is going to be loud at BMO Field. I feel it already just thinking about it. Um, but, you know, Philadelphia Union is definitely a contender for MLS Cup this year. So you have to watch out for that. Like I said, they are dangerous. So this is a team that it is going to be a fun to watch match. Both sides are looking to get the points. And, uh, you know, with no Salcedo, as I mentioned for like the fifth time on this episode, it's going to be tough. But I hope to see O'Neill and Movinga, even Lucas McNaughton, because I think he's been awesome. And I wrote an article about him and told you guys this guy is going to be a good player for us. And he showed up so far. But with that, let's just hope Movinga gets into the side because against a team like Philadelphia Union, we really, really need him. And like I said, they look for the balls over the top. So Mavinga playing in this game would be important. I'd probably go with a McNaughton and Mavinga pairing. As you know, O'Neill's more uh, for his groundwork and stuff like that. And uh, McNaughton has done well in the air, and so is Mavinga. So that's probably the pairing I would look for. And uh, let's just hope that they play a more defensive balance game system because I'd much rather a draw in this game than a loss. And, um, you know, obviously I want the win, but this Philly Union side has won five of their last five, and they are humming right now. And uh, this is not a team you want to take too many risks on. So that's all for me, folks. Thank you guys again for listening to the Battleborn Reds podcast. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Go Reds, go. In the sun.